Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in a little later in the show. I'm going to talk with Snoop Dogg about his new play, loosely based on his life. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about hip-hop. We'll talk about politics, all kinds of things. You know, stay tuned to that conversation. It'll get started at about 40 minutes past the hour. But first today, Dominique Morisot is a world-renowned playwright who recently received a MacArthur Genius Award. She's also a native of Detroit whose work has explored many layers of life in the city past and present, and it dives deep into the swirl of race and class that influences so much of how we think and interact with one another. Morisot returns to Detroit this week to attend a performance of her stage play Pipeline at the Detroit Public Theater. That play is about a high school teacher in the city, her teenage son, and their fight through an education system that is often working against them. Dominique Morisot, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me here. Yes, and welcome home to Detroit. Uh, That's important, right? Yes, it's very important. (laughs) How often uh, do you find yourself back here? You right know, now. I because my entire family's here, and so is my husband. So yeah. We make it back a couple of times a year. So. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good average, right? Yeah, no, it's not bad at all. Uh, let's start with uh, with Pipeline. What inspired this play, and uh, what do you think people who go to see this play are going to take away from it? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I can, I can let me answer the first part first, because okay. that second one is always a hilarious question to me. Um, you know, Pipeline, it, I, I'm, an, I'm an educator as much as I am an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I started in education. I've been teaching, you know, in education in different cities for over 20 years. So basically since I was zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that's um, right. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I just care deeply about young people. Um, and I was really concerned about the, you know, many things going on with education in this country sure. and who gets to make the policies around education in this country. And I was also reading Michelle Alexander's book, uh, The New Jim Crow, at yeah. the time yeah. that I was working on this. And, I, you know, in, in that book, she's obviously talking about the uh, incarceration, you know, mass incarceration mm-hmm. issue and mm-hmm. that prison industrial complex. But... Uh, for me, the new Jim Crow is also uh, the education, you know, the world of education, and the I, I just find it just so polarizing. So there, there, the disparity between, you know, the haves and the have-nots in yeah. education, it, it's a big, big deal. Um, and it's divided along racial lines, but also along class lines, and it's scary yeah. to me. And so I, um, looking into that and also being very concerned about the school-to-prison pipeline, I mean, those are the things that made me want to write Pipeline. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, talk about your own experience with education. You went through Detroit Public Schools, Yeah, that that's right? right. Um, I'm a former Bates Academy Bates that brat. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so did that influence your thoughts about this much uh, that that experience well you know it's so funny because I you know when I was working on this last year in New York we, we premiered it at the Lincoln Center in New York City um, and then they filmed a version of it for PBS PBS shot you know our show for the camera mm-hmm. and for film and then we did like a distribution of it uh, nationwide mm-hmm. recently on the big screen and when I was talking to people about the play who are not from Detroit even though the play is not necessarily set in Detroit it actually probably is more has more of a tonal quality uh, of my New York teaching days, okay. you know. But I think it's sort of it's it feels very inner city wherever inner city wherever you are. Yeah. Um, 
And for me, when people would ask me about education, they would talk to me about, you know, my upbringing. I was like, you know, well, I went to the name of my school was my elementary school was Bates Academy School for the Gifted and Talented. Right. 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 And I was like, I mean, that's basically just you're asking us to get beat up everywhere we go. You know, you know, you just basically putting it on us. Right. You know, and even though I love I love my school and it was really an amazing education and we had amazing educators. Yeah. At our school, I do think that there is something a little concerning with um, titling schools like for gifted and talented when every school doesn't have that. Then it just it, it creates a division mm-hmm. in our minds mm-hmm. around us and the kids that go to their neighborhood schools. You know, when you have to get bused to a school, there's just a different mentality that goes along with that. And so I think that it, it, it already means that some young people will not feel as their education is as specialized, yeah. you know, as others. And that's concerning to me as an educator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, pipeline, the, the, the title obviously refers to this idea of schools being that first step that people take, especially young African-Americans, especially young African-American boys uh, into that uh, criminal justice uh, industrial complex. Yeah. Um, uh, do, do you, um, uh, this gets to that second question I asked, the, the, the message that you're trying to, to, mm-hmm. to get across here to people the, that you want people to take away from it. Is it, is it really that uh, concrete uh, that, that, that uh, what we're doing in public schools is setting people up to be involved in the criminal justice system? Uh, no, you know, not 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 that directly. And yeah. why I say that is because uh, Pipeline is actually a play about a mother, Naya, who's a uh, she's a public school teacher, but mm-hmm. her son, Omari, goes to a private school. Mm-hmm. And there was actually an incident that happens at his private school that sets him on the track for they might be pressing, you know, uh, for expulsion and potentially criminal charges being pressed against him. Yeah. And so her, so what we're looking at through her world is her world as an educator in the public school and her passionate her teacher, you know, the her, the her, I call her a master educator mm-hmm. and how she navigates the public school spaces and how he, her son, is navigating the private school spaces. And so it's looking at, I, I would say, one of my, my director in New York, Liliana Blaine Cruz, she would always say that this is about two things. It's about um, failure of education, both systemically and, you know, how we can look at, I think in the public school, we're looking at systemic failure often, you yeah, know. Yeah. But in private school, we never talk about cultural failure. Huh. And that also can impact a young person's you know, ability to thrive and grow in an educational environment. And so um, those are two things that I think contribute because no matter where, and it's particularly with young men of color, you know, there's just not many spaces that they can occupy in their full emotionality. You know, so if there's anger or justified anger, righteous rage, there's no space for them, and they, it quickly will turn into criminalizing them because we, we expect them to be compartmentalized humans, you know. And I, this play is also looking at compartmentalized humanity and what happens when we do that to anyone, mm-hmm. you know, because it also was a relationship between Omari and his father. That's a pretty devastating um, relationship in the, in the story, and not because, we're, not because the, he's an absent, deadbeat father. You know, so we're not doing that trope, you know, but there's just there's a lot of other layers. And I think um, black masculinity that doesn't get a chance to get explored in story and narrative, but also in society Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. we're looking at in this story. It's looking at, you know, young people's relationship to each other. Uh, You know, uh, there's a scene in the play that I know young people often love, which is between Omari's girlfriend and his mother. So (laughs) Naya and her son's girlfriend. Uh I mean, you know. 
that's an explosive relationship yeah. between, you know, women of different generations and how they perceive each other. So it's a lot of that, I think. When people talk about education and when they talk about, you know, schools failing, te- they always talk about, in public school capacity particularly, they always talk about teachers failing the kids. Right. And then I go, okay, well, if that's happening, then who's failing the teachers? Right. Because right. guarantee there's a trickle down. And if you've never taught in a public school, you have no idea mm-hmm. the challenges of what that system is like. And I taught in public school. My mother is a public school teacher in Highland Park. Um, for 40 years, I taught at Highland Park at Henry Ford Academy. Mm. You know, when I first came out of college, I taught there for a full year. And I just think people that don't know what those teachers are up against can never be, should never be in a position to dictate the policy for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Dominique Moriso. She is a playwright and 2018 MacArthur Genius Award recipient. She is in Detroit to attend a performance of her own work, Pipeline, produced by the Detroit Public Theater. It uh, opens this evening and runs through November 4th. We're talking about her work. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call, uh, 313-577-1019. Tell us, have you seen some of her work, some some of her stage work here in Detroit? A lot of it has played at the Public Theater here uh, in our city. Uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, so, so Pipeline was off Broadway last year, That's right? Uh, and your play "Ain't Too Proud to Beg," which is about the oh, uh, just ain't too proud. Yes, too everybody proud. calls it "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" because uh, for <laughs> obvious reasons, that's, that's the name the of the name song. Right. We are like, I'm like cursing myself, like, why didn't I just call it? You know, <laughs> we're being right. clever and calling it "Ain't Too Proud," but I could, you know, I know people just <laughs> will call it "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" for the rest of our lives, and that's something we're gonna have to deal with. Right? So, yeah, you had to. You should have just thrown those other two words <laughs> into the title. It, right? it, it works better for our show. When you see the show, you'll know why it's called, really called "Ain't, Ain't Too, too proud. proud." Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that played uh, is, is going to play on Broadway next year. That's right. Talk about that thrill of seeing your work in that environment, which, you know, I mean, that's sort of uh, uh, it's a different space than this. But but it's the pinnacle, I guess, in, yeah. in, in theater of of, you know, where your your work can can be showcased. Yeah, you know, it's special. I, 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 you know, Broadway has been coined the great white way for for generations. <laughs> and I think, you know, there has been an effort to not make it that, <laughs> you yeah. know, for, for generations. And so anytime you get work of, of this talent that I have in this show, which is, you know, we have a cast of 19, mm-hmm. um, predominantly African-American cast, you know, on that stage, it, it's special to mm-hmm. be able to be also, you know, an African American woman book writer of a musical book writer is just meaning I wrote the script right. like the play the story to the to the show and uh, and that that's rare in and of itself mm-hmm. um, to be also from Detroit and to be taking a musical to Broadway, that's the first, you know. Um, We have other Detroit playwrights who've been, you know, Broadway playwrights, but not necessarily with a musical. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so that's, you know, it's really exciting. And then there's, like I said, I'm 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 in a very, unfortunately, small club of of black women who have been on Broadway as writers Mm -hmm. and especially writing for musicals. Um, although that's about to change. I've got some friends coming up with me right? really soon. Yeah, uh, Katori Hall, who is also, she's a Broadway playwright. 
and she's a friend of mine, but now she has a Tina Turner musical that's coming to Broadway wow. behind mine. And so, um, and I know some several other women, Lynn Nottage and, and other friends who are also working on musicals. So that's going to change. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that change with this show. It's really exciting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it's it this show. We're so proud of it. Mm-hmm. And we're so excited to be able to tell the temptation story. We have <laughs> Otis Williams is involved with the show. Yeah. Um, and that if, for people that don't know, Otis Williams is the last, the last surviving original, member right? of the original Temps. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and he I was just with him yesterday, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so excited. He loves our show and we have his blessing. So that's the most important thing for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what What is it that you think? Uh, marks that shift uh, that all of a sudden there's this opportunity for uh, African-American women and African-Americans to be doing different work than they were able to do on Broadway. Yeah. You know, I maybe will hesitate to say all of a sudden. I think that there has been a lot of ground mm-hmm. that has been covered and been fought, been, you know, there's a lot of people been pushing for that ground to get broken, you know, throughout the decades. And, and in some ways there maybe was a gap, you know, like in the 70s when you had like Ntozaki Shangay and Ron Milner, you had, a, you know, <laughs> Mickey Grant, you had a lot of people. Um, getting breaks on Broadway. And then there seemed to be like a real lull mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was like out of perceived progress, right? Then then, then something happens again when we realize, it's oh, no, we haven't back, been. Right? Yeah, we slip back. And then now we realize, oh, we, we're not, I mean, with the nation being what it is, we realize we have not come as far as we thought. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. and uh, and so I think that that's going to be reflected in who's getting voice in not only theater but TV, film, everywhere. You're going to start seeing like an explosion of like, oh, we need to hear from people of color again. Mm-hmm. Looks mm-hmm. like they weren't equal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like this thing was like, out. oh man, turns out wasn't ever really post racial. Dog on it. Yeah. Um, and so that's what you're kind of seeing. Yeah. Uh, of course, Lynn uh, Lynn Manuel uh, mm-hmm. and and Hamilton. Yeah. Um, I, I think really showcased the idea of uh, not just people of color. Stepping out to the front of the stage, but of course, you know he wrote it, uh, and uh, and you had African American and and Latino actors playing parts Founding that would, fathers, yeah, right. right. They were you know parts that would almost always go to white people. Um, yeah. uh, does that does that help push things? I mean, the the the, the scale of the response Absolutely. to that. Um, Absolutely. You know, Lynn Manuel is a really good friend of mine as well. We used to teach together. Is that right? Mm-hmm, huh. In New York City, and uh, and when when. He first his play, um, his musical in the Heights. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I remember when I first went to see that on Broadway to see. You know, it took me a really long time to get in there to see him, and it, he had actually left the show and come back. And then I was like, okay, okay, I'm gonna catch you this time. <laughs> and when I went to see it, I was just that's when I saw like this entire Latinx audience on Broadway, yeah. like really getting their entire lives by seeing themselves on stage. And I thought, my God. What a gift he's given them. <laughs> what a gift this is for like, you know, you know, I've lived in New York for 15 years plus, And it's rare that you will see a, a Latinx audience in on in Broadway. And they, you know, that's a very huge population in that city. Mm-hmm. So that tells you something about Broadway. Um, and, but, you know, and so him doing once doing Hamilton, it just sort of amplified that and up to the notch, you know. 
Um, the tricky thing, though, is then you go see Hamilton, you're not seeing a predominantly Latinx audience. You're seeing a predominantly white audience. I was going to say. Uh, the, because they're the only people that can afford those the tickets. The tickets were so expensive, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, and then I know it's important to Lynn and um, and his, you know, uh, director, Tommy Kale, who I also know and am good friends with. And it's important to them to have accessible tickets you know they're not the sole producers on their show but they have some really great producers on their show who are also interested in that so they they've done initiatives yeah uh but you know i mean it's just it's, it's never gonna be enough but they have <laughs> done uh initiatives to try to get people you know um who don't normally get on in broadway houses or you know to see broadway shows to be able to have accessibility sure Sure. Yeah. Uh, as I said, you're in town to to watch Pipeline at the Public Theater. I, yes. I initially said that it opens tonight. It opened in uh, October fourth. Yes. It opened. So it's been playing yeah, it opened for a, a while, while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but it runs through November fourth. Uh, uh, talk about seeing your own work on stage. That's a that's got to be a very odd experience, even even now. Um, uh, what's what's I think unique yeah. <laughs> every time is because, you know, I've seen it. I, I've, I've been involved in some productions. And with Detroit Public Theater, I'm often involved, at least remotely, in some capacity because I'm an ambassador for that theater and uh, they've been ambassadors for my work. Um, but I'm not as involved in the, you know, in the process of putting the show the up. actual production. Yeah, right. right? Like, so I, then I come and I see what people have interpreted mm -hmm, <laughs> that mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily, you know, foster directly. And so that's always, um, it, that's always keeps me on my toes as an artist because, you know, your work is very fragile, I think, and you put it out there <laughs> and you don't know what people are going to get from it, but you also <laughs> don't know what people are going to make of it when they get it in their hands. Right. And so it's, it's, and my work uh, pipeline has a few productions around the country this year. Uh, my other play skeleton crew had, uh, is the most, one of the most produced plays in the country this year. And so that has a lot of productions that I don't, have my hand in mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it gets a little scary but it's also There's thrilling be a lot of trust is a lot of involved trust. in letting it go and let's, well, yeah, that's letting someone else <laughs> letting someone else shape that's it, what right? you have to do but i what i love about theater i mean why i'm in this for the win you know is because <laughs> i just it is a collaborative art form and it really is about seeing the vision of others you know it's about trusting the vision of others or not you know but 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 experimenting and and dancing with the interpretation of others and like having a collective conversation about the work and that's what that's what i love so you know as much as it is terrifying it's also thrilling sure Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with playwright Dominique Moriso. Uh, we're going to talk a little more about the craft of writing, what attracted her to the idea of being a playwright. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. You can just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you, and uh, you can listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. My guest is Dominique Moriso. She is a playwright and the 2018 MacArthur Genius Award recipient. She is in 
Detroit to attend a performance of her own work, Pipeline, produced by the Detroit Public Theater this evening. It has been running since October 4th there, and it is going to run through November Fourth, uh, if you want to join the conversation, uh, talk about Dominique's work, talk about uh, uh, theater in general, uh, theater here in the city of Detroit, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's talk about the MacArthur Um uh, what was it like <laughs> to find out you'd won, and how did you find out? Uh, so the how is really interesting because yeah. they, they, you know, you don't know that you're being submitted for it or mm-hmm. nominated or mm-hmm. anything. You know, you have no idea. And so when they call to tell you that you've won it, it's like a random person <laughs> trying to get in touch with you. Like lightning strike or you something, know? right? It, I mean, it's like, and, and, and so when a random person tries to get in touch with me, when I'm in a very busy season of my <laughs> life, that's going to be difficult. Yeah. And I'm not going to help make it less difficult because I'm doing so many things. So I actually gave them a hard time <laughs> to tell You're me like, Who is this that I won something. Me, right? you know? I mean, it's ridiculous, but um, that's what happened. You know, it was someone <laughs> And cryptically was trying to get in touch with me. And I'm like, who is this? I don't know this person. Yeah. And why are they acting like it's an emergency? I don't even know them. You know what I mean? Like, I can't respond to this emergency. I'm dealing with my own personal <laughs> drama today. Uh, and so by the time they did get in touch with me, it took like several, <laughs> like, hey, Dominique, um, I need you to call you me. You really need to call Dom- me back. You really need to call me back. And I'm like, okay, everybody says you really need to call them. I, that doesn't mean anything. And then it was, and then it got to, Dominique, I'm with, we're not even supposed to say this but I'm with I'm with a you know a big organization you really need to call me back and then I was like okay wait yeah. <laughs> maybe I should this is maybe worth looking into maybe worth looking into <laughs> after they've tried to get in touch with me all day something's going on yeah um huh. and I don't even know them but they got my number like they are my phone number right so right? that's like that got really far um and then when I call they they let you know how I were with this there's like three I think on the phone hmm. or I don't know I felt like I was on a conference call I don't know who was in that room. I was <laughs> clowning, and I'm sure they were cracking up at me. Um, but I, you know, they tell you that you won it, and they tell you that it came. What I, what was really humbling, I think, for me, in the in the moment of the call, was when they let you know how many people they talked to about your work before they decide to give you that award. Mm-hmm. And they say they talked to about thirty something to forty something people in my field. Wow. That's a lot of people. It is. I mean, that's like a, you know, that's a very fun birthday party for me. You know, I'm not, I don't have 100 people birthday parties, you know. And so like 30 to 40 people in my vicinity, that's a lot of people for me. And so for them to have, that's a, a relationship between me and my peers who are practicing this work that they suggest to this committee that I am worthy of this award. Right. That means a lot to me. That's the people that I practice with, you know? Right, right. Um, uh, so it's one of the most interesting awards uh, that you can win in the sense that it, it comes with no strings at all. Yeah. Uh, and the big question always is, well, so what do you do with it? There's a lot of money involved yeah. with that award. And I'm yeah. always curious what, what people think they might do. And it's really early, obviously. You, yeah. uh, you may not have reached 
you know, final decisions about uh, a lot of that. But I'm oh, curious. yeah, no, I spent that whole yeah. five <laughs> years. Gone. I got that. That's already spent. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's a lot. You know, it's a, it's a lot and it's, it's over five years. Yeah. And um, which is great because that could just be like a salary to write for five years, you mm-hmm, know, or mm-hmm. it could be, hey, I have a salary. I, I'm working some jobs right now. So this can be for development ideas. You know, um, I do. I mean, I have a lot of projects that I want to invest in. Um, there's a lot of things I want to do here in Detroit, even though I don't live here anymore. I, my family lives here, so this will always be home. And I have to, you know, there, there. I want to be part of Detroit's restoration and, um, and and be a part of programs here and and property here. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's one thing, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then there's other things. You know, I I I am an artist. I'm a filmmaker as much as I am a television writer and a playwright right and um i want to do some of my own initiatives in that capacity i want to i want to shoot a short film here in detroit now i'm working with another detroit filmmaker he and i are trying to get together and figure out when we can actually come to detroit to do this uh but so those are some things that i want to this is a work of fiction this is a work of fiction it's based on a a short story that i wrote called Hmm. giselle the gazelle um, that looks at a young girl and her relationship to police violence with the with the young guys around her. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, I want to shoot that here in Detroit. And I, there's other projects that I want to do here and in, in, in across the country. So that's I got I got plans. Yeah, right. It sounds like you've given some, given some it some thought, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about writing um, and the sort of many different forms that that can take uh, as an artistic pursuit what was it that drew you first to writing for the stage but then as you point out you're, you're doing a lot of other writing as well for film for television yeah uh where, can you remember what it was that said to you this is what I want to do well yes I mean as a playwright I started in college as a writer I started in you know second grade mm-hmm. uh but as a playwright I had been a poet by by college I had been a poet and a fiction writer to myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no published works or anything. Uh, but I had, you know, been really uh, deeply in- inspired by Nikki Giovanni and Maya Angelou, you know. Uh, I had, as a kid, I was reading a lot of uh, mystery. Judy Bloom was also somebody I read a lot mm. as a kid. And Rosa Gee, she's my favorite young adult fiction writer, her and Walter Dean Myers. Um, so I've been reading a lot of their work, and that sort of fed the writer in me because I think, you know, I, w- I went to a poetry event yesterday um, uh, down at uh, the music hall Aretha Jazz Cafe mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and um, it was a wonderful poetry slam. And I, I, But when I was listening to the poets, I remember being a poet on the scene, and I had always felt of my fellow poets at the time, like, I hope you're reading poetry, because if you're not reading poetry, you're not going to be writing great write poetry. No, you just right. can't write great poetry if you're not reading great poetry. And I think the same thing for any kind of writing. Like, if you're going to be a good, you know, novelist, you need to be reading novels. For me at the time, I had been writing and reading a lot of poetry, so I was becoming a really strong poet. Mm-hmm. And my poetry transitioned me into playwriting. Wow. Um, you know, into Zaki Shan Gay, I had read her play for Colored Girls. Um, and uh, the long title was For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide <laughs> When the Rainbow Was Enough. And reading her poetry play, she called it a choreo poem, that gave me the like, oh, I'm a poet. 
I can write a choreo poem. That was my entry point into writing plays. And it was also because as an actor, I was at the University of Michigan and I just wasn't getting cast um, to my liking as an actor. And we weren't studying writers of color ever. And so like writers of color and black writers in particular were never mandated in our education. So for me to get exposure to it, it was like I had to go learn it on my own. You had to go do it on your own. Um, which is unfair, and I always tell students now they need to be fighting against that in their programs because they're paying for their education. They should get the education they want. And for me, that meant I was going to write the roles I wanted to be in. So so when you're writing a play, this is something I have zero experience with. Uh, I'm always curious, though, uh, do you just write the story first and then add the stage directions and the other sort of physical parts of it being a play, or do you write it as a play from from the beginning? That's a great question. You know, I, I think everybody has a different way in, and sometimes I take a different way into each play I write. Uh, nowadays, I know what style I want to write in. You know, like when I was first trying my first play, it was just poetry. So I just started writing poetry, Mm -hmm. you know, and dialogue, like just words I would hear in my head. And then I went back and would think about who the characters are and would assign them (laughs) things, right? That's not how, I would never do that like that now because I would be more clear about the voice of character and what I, I would know who I'm writing about. And my work is a little more linear now. So it's like more traditional storytelling, quote unquote traditional. Um, And so that means like if I'm thinking, sometimes it comes to me in, in the form of a place you know when I was writing my play Skeleton Crew about the the auto industry in Detroit I was like I want to just find a fictional like locker room or someplace where people are gonna a break room where you can go be in the plant and how you know but the plant is around you so that I could see the characters but that I could also see a little bit of the world of the working world around them um my play Detroit 67 I was like hey I knew that at the time there were a lot of like after hours parties and things like that being raided Mm -hmm. and I thought ooh. A Detroit red light party in the basement. <laughs> I want to see a play in a basement of Detroit, right? you know? Um, I knew that those were places that I wanted. With Pipeline, location was not the thing. In fact, there's a lot of moments in the play that are described as undefined space, hmm. which means that I don't care where they are. This is the idea that they have in their heads. So for me, it was more about um, the issue and the people, and how are we going to find a way to just get to the essence of who these people are and what the issue is that they're dealing with. Yeah. And it's all about this one incident that just peppers into everything else. Um, so it, it comes in different ways. Yeah. But I think no any writer that really wants to get through a whole story has to have some vision of the end. That'll help you get to the end when right. you're writing, because you're so going to you get s- off course. Right, right. So you start with that end in mind. I do. I do now. I mean, it doesn't mean that I know what the end moment's going to look like. I just know what I'm trying to get to. Like, I, I, Or for me, I always say I have to know what somebody's willing to fight or die for. And then I can write anything to happen around that. Because once I know what you're willing to fight or die for, and that can be uh, as small as something like a piece of cake <laughs> or as large as your son's life. Mm-hmm. And you're, if you're willing to fight or die for either one of those things, I can make a lot of interesting obstacles happen for you. to get to that thing you know to take to get to that fighting for that life to for that life to be saved or for that cake to be devoured (laughs) wow you know uh how much say are you given in in the productions in in terms of 
your original intent with the, mm. with the story and that ending that uh, that you're yeah. working everyone toward. Well, when I'm first writing a play, I am the boss. Right, it's all right. you. Right, <laughs> you know, it's all me. I'm the boss. I think it, when you start getting it into the world of development, you know, you start working on uh, the world of development looks like submitting your play to different development institutions. Sometimes those are theaters. Sometimes they're writers retreats or writers conferences, right? But once it hits the world of development, I'm, I may be in a room with other writers and we're all listening to each other's work and giving feedback. Or I might be in a room with, you know, a bunch of actors and a director. And again, they're giving me feedback on the play and we're trying to figure things out together about what did I mean when I said that part? And <laughs> does this really make sense for this character? That's when you start getting other people involved. And I'm still the boss but I'm I'm not I can't be so rigid as the boss I have to be willing to listen to the village to help me hear what my work is doing or yeah. not doing you know um and then I think by the time it gets to full-on production you are negotiating with a lot of people because mm -hmm. you're negotiating with the artistic director of the theater they're the producer I mean they they can really say well you don't want to take my advice goodbye to your play <laughs> you know um and the director we're negotiating like who's the cast what direction the story's going to take but the writer in a play world in the world of theater the writer is still supposed to be the ultimate authority i think that there sometimes uh, theaters can be very pushy on writers especially big prestigious theaters they can you know sort of make a writer feel like they have less agency over their own work but as a friend of mine says, he used to run Baltimore Center Stage, and now he's running the Young Vic in London. Um, his name is Kwame Kwe Arma. Hmm. But he says um, the writer's the only person that can't walk away from the play. Wow. So That's they true. have to be able to, it has to be able to be something that they can live with. Because they're the only person that can't walk away. Everybody else could be like, well, you know, I did that show, but it was wag. But whatever, I moved on <laughs> doing other things. But the writer's like, the person, that's where it started with them in a quiet place, maybe. It lives with you forever. It lives with you forever. So it's like it's like your child. And so, yeah, your child's going to go out into the world and get, you can't, you're not, as, you're its mother, but you're not its master. So it is going to get influenced by other people's hand. But at the end of the day, it comes back to mama. Wow. Wow. Uh, last question. Do you see yourself moving back to Detroit? At any point, you love the city so much. I do. Uh, I do love the your city work. So takes much. you, you know, to to other places. Would this be home again? Uh, you know, it's, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. And my husband and I, we just got a home in California, in Los Angeles. Now that's where we live. Mm -hmm. And but I'm like with a new home, like literally not even a year old into that home. We often talk about what would it be like to move back to Detroit. It's when it's, it's not time yet. I'm still now setting ground and doing things in Hollywood. Now I'm becoming like, you know, a black writer in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And so that's got to take its course. But I think I'm, I definitely, I'm not sure, but I know that regardless of whether I'm personally living here, I have to have a stake here. So something of mine will be living here, whether mm. it's an institution or brick and mortar somewhere, but something of mine will be forever in, in this city. Wow. Okay. Dominique Moriso, playwright and 2018 MacArthur Genius Award recipient. Really great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Enjoy the play tonight. Thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> All right. Up next, my conversation with rapper Snoop Dogg about his play, Redemption of a Dog, also playing here in Detroit. Stay with us on Detroit Today.